0: Welcome to the Curator Salon podcast, I'm Gita Joshi and if you've been following me on social media, you will have seen that I was recently in Venice for the opening of the Biennale. I was there with various friends and I also met up with Charlie Levine, who was a recent guest on the podcast, and Anna Lowe from Smartify. So I have inter- invited them both onto the show today to talk about you know, their favourite pavilions. Welcome, Charlie. Hi, Gita. Welcome, Anna. Hello, hi. So let's start with your favourite pavilions starting in the east as we follow the sun because there were so many sites over 110 uh, national pavilions. Charlie where would you like to start?
1: It's quite difficult there were so many that were real standout for various reasons some that you sort of just fell in love with and others that stuck in your mind because they were There was something you hadn't seen before. Um, I think I'd really like to start talking about the British Pavilion and Kathy Wilkes. Um, I know Anna and I went and walked around that together and there was something really beautiful and still about it. Um, Something very melancholic, but I don't know. It was was an incredibly beautiful pavilion that uh, was definitely one of my standouts.
2: Yeah, it was like a sort of installation, I suppose. It's kind of like walking through, Various rooms and all the colours were kind of these pastely creams and beiges, uh, but with these kind of different elements of of the work kind of fed through each room. So, like a, kind of a, a teal coloured dress would be then kind of followed through as a as an object in the next room as well. And it just felt amazingly kind of calming to be in that space. I can't quite describe it, but yeah, it was an amazing installation.
1: It was mostly painting. There were some limited edition prints I think that she'd made specifically. Uh, for the pavilion. There was a lot of sculptural pieces. There were some really everyday objects that were kind of placed and elevated to to art. You might say in inverted commas. So there was sort of the end of a toilet roll, um, just a little cardboard toilet roll holder at the end, just sort of placed on one of the sculptures. There was this real element of everyday whimsicality loss. There were these um, small sort of childlike uh, sculptures of people that looked like they were sort of pretending to be pregnant or they could have in fact been representative of young pregnant people. That idea of birth, that idea of play, that imaginary futures, but also there was a lot of ideas of, of loss. That very first room we went into, there was, there was this sort of rectangle sculpture that had been covered in, what was the material, Anna? Was it sort of the, it wasn't linen, what was it?
2: The material was sort of a gauze, um, slightly see-through.
1: <laughs> and it just felt really tomb-like. It felt there was, it was instantly melancholy. It was instantly calming and reflective. And there was a sort of playfulness and calmness about it. The whole, the whole pavilion was very beautiful and a real standout, I think, because it was talking about other things that other pavilions weren't talking about. It was taking the theme, Ralph Raghav's theme, I think in a really unique way.
0: Interesting. I wonder if it was because it was such a contemplative space that there was a queue outside when I went, because I originally thought, well, maybe there was some kind of film in there because film. Um, you know, those spaces always attract a queue as, you know, they're very time-based. But it's quite interesting that people clearly wanted to spend a lot of time in that pavilion to the point that then, um, you know, queues were forming down the down the aisle at the Giardini.
1: I think they did that on purpose. I think they were only letting a certain amount of people in as well. So it it didn't feel overcrowded. There was that, there was air and space around you as you were walking around. You didn't, it, you didn't as an audience member, feel enclosed or rushed through. You were very much allowed to do it at your own pace and not feel like there was too many people in there.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, actually. What's your next one? The Czech Republic pavilion is usually shared,
1: and every other year, and um, they will take it on. And this year, it was with Stanislav Kolibal, who is a real, was a pioneer of the kind of the Czech avant-garde movement. And what was really interesting about that pavilion for me was he was a really senior artist. Venice Biennale this year felt very young it felt like it was really profiling some really young up-and-coming artists and to then have this more mature he was a 90 plus year old gentleman who was also in the space which was great um, just it again it, it had a really different feel to it which I think is what I liked about the British Pavilion as well they sort of stood out because they felt different to the other conversations that were happening of course still within that theme I don't know there was something about this kind of the, the the modernist work, the minimalist work that he did. He created a specific wall drawing for this exhibition that was so sympathetic to the venue and so kind of mimicking the floor patterns it was black and white there was it, it was kind of architectural it was artistic it was contemporary but very harping back um and you could tell as well just from the exhibition and the pieces of work that were in there that it was you know it was the senior artist he it was a slight retrospective there were pieces from his whole practice and his whole career and that was really nice to kind of see this 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 solo almost retrospective exhibition very very different I think to what else was going on. Anna any thoughts on that one?
2: Yeah I think um, Charlie and I were fortunate to actually kind of be there when the artist was kind of introducing uh, the work and you know that that idea of may you live in interesting times as the theme Um, is something that we can you know think now you know everything is kind of exploding and everything is going wrong across society but he's saying you know I've been living in interesting times in Czech Republic you know since since forever so you know he had kind of a different view on on you know that communist history and that he kind of brought forward a lot of interesting ideas how we're all kind of living through interesting times.
0: Anna what's your next one? Yeah I'm going to
2: highlight a couple of video works that i really enjoyed um there was actually a lot of talk about france and, and laura provost which i think has been spoken about a lot so i'm going to leave that one um but i really enjoyed brazil the swingera it was called which was an artist duo barbara wagner Wagner and um, benjamin de burka and they had these two screens of kind of just dancers um dancing up a very traditional brazilian kind of street urban dance to kind of uh, you know, kind of hip-hop songs that were just, yeah, re- the, the lyrics were really interesting and it was about how kind of the, the battle of the sexes portrayed it through kind of dance um, but the videos were just like extremely like captivating and just, yeah, the soundtrack was very infectious as well. That was, that was great. Um, and the other one being um, Denmark who were kind of one of the few of the kind of major pavilions that was really tackling climate change as an issue, um, which I was happy to see kind of, you know, in, in the pavilion there. And they had this kind of video work that was, you know, it was about 50 minutes long, I think. Um, so quite a long piece, but it was kind of exploring this kind of post-apocalyptic world um, where, you know, what would that be like and kind of humanity living in an underground layer of sorts sort of kind of a bubble, but from a very kind of art film sort of way, rather than, you know, kind of the, the, the typical presentation that we're used to in kind of Hollywood movies.
0: I really like the swing era. That was really captivating, as you say. It was like you couldn't not smile when you went in that space. I
2: was going to say, yeah, the sound really just drew you in to that space. I mean, even from the back of the pavilion, if you're walking around the back of the kind of park of, of pavilions, you could just hear that sound coming from someone like, where's the party? Like, I want to go in that one. So.
1: Well, that's how we encountered the Brazilian pavilion is we walked behind it and all you could hear was this music and we were immediately like, how do we get in? We want. We wanted to go and see it. Um, and there were so many people, I think there were so many people watching the films. And what I find quite difficult sometimes when you're trying to run around a biennale and see everything, it's really difficult to give your time to a lot of the videos. So quite often for me, they have to really grab your attention within the first couple of minutes for you to see whether you're going to, give it that time, I guess. I mean, Anna and I were quite fortunate that we then went back to the Giardini to specifically watch some of the films. But that Brazilian one caught us immediately and we definitely gave it quite a lot of our time. And it was so in; it, it just drew you in Im- immediately. It was the music, the dance, the visuals, the kind of the lead female character was, was really charismatic and you were just very interested in what was going on. I really enjoyed that, it was great.
0: And then the Danish film, so that was 50 minutes. I mean, this was one of my issues with that Biennale or you know, many festivals or you know, art events where there are so many black boxes, so many films to watch and you know, the amount of hours that one has to sort of commit to genuinely watching any of those things. But uh, I think that film is called Heirloom and I've heard a lot of people talk about it. It would be great if some of these films would be available to watch online if you're away from that event. But let's move to the Ralph Rugoff exhibition. What are your standout pieces there? Or standout artists, even
1: there were so many. Um, if, I, if I can start, Anna, um, continuing the film route, we watched this incredible film. There were several great films in the exhibition as well. My favorite was Lawrence Abu Hamdan, and he did this film called Walled and walls, and He's a Beirut based artist, and it was incredible.
2: It's about, um, how kind of information that can be used as evidence can seep through walls, and that is can be sound but it could also be heat um, and how we kind of track that and the often walls are presented I guess as, as kind of these barriers that are you know like separating countries, separating people but also they are protections um, against kind of new technologies that can basically see through any wall and he was just exploring
1: that. Yeah, and he was the artist, was, he, had, he was telling all of the stories to camera in this sound studio and the way that he was telling them was, it was really engaging and totally fascinating and using, using stories that you were sort of familiar with. So the um, Oscar Pistorius trial where sound was used within that as evidence uh, for the first time, I think it was the first time. And those sort of stories where you, you've heard about them and you're familiar with them, but he goes into much more detail. Um, that was a really, really brilliant film piece, and that was one that we definitely sat and watched and purposefully went back to see. Just to
2: add, I think the other great thing about that work is that he was doing research on sound as evidence for, I think it was for Amnesty International, about for a, about a prison in Syria, um, about kind of how the prisoners were tortured when they were kind of all in uh, confinement cells and how they could hear what was going on. And he kind of said that, you know, there are certain types of information that, Kind of can't be used necessarily as evidence or can't be presented as you know in in a journalistic way or as entertainment because they don't kind of fit into those buckets and in that circumstance art is really the only area where you can present kind of more kind of intangible information that is of interest and so that's kind of what drove him to kind of create that piece which i think is a really interesting motivation
0: for me one of the standout artists at the Rugoff exhibition was gary gill I don't know if you saw her work, but she uh, had these photographs. And there was quite a lot of photographs of like these poor communities in Rajasthan that, had, that were wearing masks that were traditionally used in theatre. But then she had commissioned uh, craftsmen to make these masks of everyday people. And I just thought they were really interesting because, you know, these masks are typically used in the telling of sort of mythology and that sort of theatre performance and then they were made um you know very skillfully to represent everyday people going about their everyday lives so uh, you know on one hand there was this sort of elevation of you know of the status of the the people wearing them but at the same time they were kind of represented in their very sort of domestic day-to-day lives as well and you know that work i don't know i just found it very moving um and very um evocative as well because i think some of her messaging is also around the masks that we wear for every day but also around these sort of um characters that we you know either we play or are certainly t- sort of told through mythology in uh, in terms of like the you know the demon and the hero and um, you know all the other peripheral characters that you have in those sort of tales but the masks that we might sort of use um in everyday life as well around you know how we appear on social media or you know when we sort of go into a role if we're going into a meeting and you know all those sorts of different things so the idea of mask uh, masks in, in both the physical sense but that sort of other way that we have them without even knowing sometimes. So yeah, her work was for me really, really stand out.
1: There was another photographer that I particularly liked actually in the group show, which was Nell Moholy and the portraits um, that were really looking at gender um, and specifically sort of lesbian, gay, trans. And in the Giardini, there were a series of small black and white uh, photographs, but then in the Arsenale, they were blown up. To huge proportions, floor to ceiling. And they were a really standout photographic project for me as well. I agree. And she has an exhibition coming up at Tate this year. So even if you can't get to the Biennale,
2: um, she's going to have a big uh, show of her work. The other video that I liked in the uh, Giardini was um, Arthur Jaffa's White Noise. Um, White Noise is the follow up to Love is the Message. Um, and that work was looking at kind of black culture. And a lot of people left very kind of emotional after seeing that because it was kind of quite. Um, difficult to watch. Um, but I think uh, Arthur Jafford, you know, he didn't want people to kind of feel like that emotional release necessarily and be able to walk away with that feeling. He wanted to challenge people more. So he made the second video, which is a lot longer um, and looking at kind of white, white supremacy. And he juxtaposes these kind of, you know, found it footage online, which is his kind of Medium so finding YouTube videos and this kind of thing of of just absolutely terrible things Um, And but then combining it with really slow-moving beautiful kind of portrait shots of people who I assume are his friends or people that he works with You know uh, white as well But kind of looking at them from a very kind of beautiful perspective and like juxtaposing those two things together was uh, Again quite shocking but in a completely different way Um, and you left really challenged So that was a really important work. I think for me
0: Like you said, it didn't leave you feeling at all cathartic at the end, you know, like through a traditional film where you might have the narrative and some kind of resolution at all. It was challenging. Charlie, any thoughts on that one?
1: It was an extremely challenging piece. Again, I think this idea of going back to film work, for me, in a situation like a biennale, has to grab you really quickly uh, for you to want to sit with it. And again, that was so immediate. And we sat and watched the whole thing through. And again, I think it was a 15-minute film And we suddenly did the whole loop and Anna and I looked at each other like, oh my God, we've just sat here for 50 minutes. We hadn't even, you know, done the little side eye to each other of shall we go? We were just in it. It was incredibly captivating.
0: There was something about it. You wanted to look and not look at the same time as well sometimes.
1: Exactly, exactly. Very confrontational Mm. in a good way. What was brilliant for me about the Rogoff curated shows was actually how representational the exhibitions were. I felt they were very um, centred around young emerging or kind of mid-career artists who are going on to do really brilliant things, talking about really challenging subjects. Um, I thought it was brilliant, it was diverse, it was exciting and it genuinely felt like you were seeing something new which is why perhaps some of those other exhibitions or pavilions where they were showing more senior artists felt so standout and different because the energy was really raw, it was really current, it was really honest and that was a brilliant thing that was seen in both the Arsenale and the
2: Speaking of um kind of that raw and the kind of new energy, um I just want to add the Ghana Pavilion, which was kind of the talk of um Venice when we were there, everybody wanted to go and see that one. Um it was their first ever pavilion at Venice um and some real heavy hitters. So it was the show was curated by um, a Ghanaian curator called um, Nana Ofriata Ayim, and she had selected artists kind of you know, really established um, artists like kind of John O'Confora and the actual pavilion itself was built by the architect, um, Sir David Ajay, but also really emerging um, artists as well, you know, some that really no one knew. So it was a group show, but incredibly well curated. And um, yeah, the whole pavilion, because it had, it was, It was built out of um, kind of soil that had been brought over from Ghana as well as kind of fish bones were in there. So it had this smell to it. um, That was, it was really powerful.
0: I thought what was also really good about the curation of that one was that they'd chosen artists that were actually living and working in Ghana, but also from diaspora as well. So, you know, as a group show, it was really representative of Ghana across the world. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I always love when a pavilion does a group show as well. I obviously, it's so nice when they give uh, single artists the opportunity and it's this real standout moment for them and their careers but there's something really beautiful especially for Ghana when it was their first year to deliver a group show it felt like a really great springboard for them for the next time.
0: So what were your favourite artists
1: there? Uh,
2: my favourite artist in the Ghana pavilion was the uh, probably Lynette Yadom Boaki um, she had these kind of really beautiful painted portraits but they're actually imagined they're not like, real people so yeah, that kind of sense of, you know, looking kind of the future and, and just kind of these, these people kind of um, what they were doing, living, living their lives. And she's actually got a, a show at Tate as well this year. So um, another
1: one that you can catch in London.
0: Charlie, you had another artist you wanted to mention there.
1: Felicia Aben uh, was my favourite in the Ghana Pavilion, photographer. Really, again, beautiful black and white portraits. She's one of the more senior artists from Ghana that they brought over. Um, yeah, exquisite, really beautiful.
0: I think one of mine from the Ghana Pavilion was, I think it's pronounced El Natsui, that made the, they're almost like tapestries that are woven together from flattened uh, bottle caps. Did you see that? I mean, there's these incredibly huge, but detailed kind of pieces. For me, they were just incredible.
1: What was lovely about the Ghana Pavilion was actually those moments where it felt like three exhibitions in one. Those bottle tops, uh, the flattened bottle tops felt like a curtain that separated it from a different part that separated it from a different part. It was a real journey through all the different artists' work actually. They were all sort of given their space, but it was a definite group show. It was because it was at the Arsenal as well, it's in that long exhibition corridor. So sometimes you're not quite sure where things end, where things start, people are sharing spaces the Ralph Rogoff group show then going into the individual pavilions and actually it continued with the Ghana pavilion as you were walking through you could tell there was a sense of unity but they all felt like little individual projects within their, their pavilion which was a brilliant way to curate that actually I loved that.
0: Yeah I really enjoyed that pavilion as well for sure. So let's move over to the island of Judecca, which is now built as a new art district. There are numerous galleries but there are also a couple of national pavilions over there as well. So we eventually found it, it was all tucked away, you know, this whole issue with Venice and not so much signposting as we'd like, unless you go to Rialto or San Marco, uh, which we were not. So we eventually found the Giudecca Art District, which was like a boatyard, how would you describe it, like an industrial boatyard? Some of it's still used as, um, for boat repairs and other parts have been uh, converted into gallery spaces or exhibition spaces. We found some excellent work there. I really i am so pleased we actually made it there.
1: It was a total antidote to the busyness of Venice and the Biennale um, because it was the opening week that we were all fortunate enough to be there for. There were a lot of people um, and going across to the other island, there was a real sense of calm. And because we didn't know where we were going, I really liked that exploratory nature of it. So when we found it and we went came to this boatyard and there were, in one, there were um, boats being made. And in the next space, there was a contemporary art show going on. It felt really exciting and it felt incredibly different to what was going on on the main island.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. I think just to kind of highlight that, yeah, when you're in Venice, um, you know, there's that kind of sense of like, you have to kind of consume the art and you have to, you know, be up to date on, have you seen this? And everybody's talking, have you read that latest review? And it it can feel quite, um, you know, like you're kind of on this treadmill um, and kind of trying to learn to be a little bit less interested in that and instead look for other things that might kind of jolt you awake a little bit more. Um, So yeah, going over to Geodeca, um, there was the Estonian Pavilion, which was just kind of mad. We
0: walked in and there was kind of a fountain. Estonian Pavilion, that's right. I mean, that was one of my, you know, really favourite pieces there. I think, as you said, like some of the calm that we just sort of experienced just walking, you know, from the boat actually to this area was just quite uh, you know, kind of really set the tone for it, and then to walk into this space was uh, beautiful. I mean, the artist uh, for the Estonian pavilion is called Chris Chris Lemsalu, and the artwork itself is actually called Fontaine. It's um, a huge sort of sculptural piece, but she's normally a, an artist whose work is around the idea of death, but for this she you know created this other piece that was a bit more celebratory, huge baroque style sculpture that you see typically in, you know, many piazzas across any major city in Italy, but then made with like basketball players and a lot of colour. And yeah, I really enjoyed that one. And the space in, for that one as well was amazing.
1: I really liked all their feminist connotations. There was a lot of feminist iconography uh,
0: used within, yeah. used
1: within the piece. And I really enjoyed that. The piece was exciting because it was, as you said, it was this, piazza with this fountain that was made up of were they ceramic vaginas they were huge there was basketballs there was water there was people diving from the ceiling into this fountain it was it was playful and it was unexpected one of the things that i love most about venice especially the biennale is this use of public and private spaces and i think that pavilion specifically really engaged with that thought of what is public space what is private space so bringing the outside in and the inside out I think especially with its location in that boatyard, was really interesting because it was this this square but with inside a building was harking back to the main island but it was on this separate location there was a real interesting conversation going on about what was happening in the galleries as well as outside the galleries.
0: Yeah I I love that one and while we were there that we saw another fantastic one which was the exhibition called after Turner which wasn't a national pavilion as such Um, It was an independent exhibition space. It was a group show.
1: What was really amazing about that, and to continue the conversation about the uh, excitement of when you go into some of these private spaces when you're in Venice and you go into all these amazing uh, pavilion spaces that are dotted around outside of the two main venues, is that moment of unexpected. You don't know what you're going to see, what's going to be inside the building, how you're going to navigate it. And that after Turner exhibition, the ground floor piece of work was nice, but then we ascended this staircase and then we were, there was this huge lofty space, so much light, these huge photographs, this massive installation, um, this sound piece humming away. It was so exciting. And I remember all three of us responding really positively to it. I think it was to say unexpected again, that's exactly what it was. We were coming from a position of sort of slightly getting lost, are we in the right place? We're in this boatyard. it's industrial, it's artistic, it's, we'd just seen that amazing pavilion. And then this airy warehouse space just felt so exciting. And all of the works just, I remember all three of us getting really switched on by what we were seeing. Um, And to talk for all three of us, I'd like to say that our favorite was an artist called Jacob Hashimoto um, which and he, his work was incredibly uplifting.
0: It was. I remember it all being there, like, open-mouthed, and I think that's possibly the place we've spent the most time outside anything that was film-based. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was like this huge... So Jacob Hashimoto was like this
2: kind of curtain drape hanging from the ceiling, but it was made out of individual kites, little, little kites. So I guess similar in the way... You know, there's a kind of reference there to Ellen and work in terms of that kind of making a a drape out of individual items. But it was just so um, beautiful. And especially in that kind of really large, airy loft space, it just looked incredible.
0: I think even thinking about it now, I can't like not smile one and think of it. It's such a joyous, both the installation, the space, the whole experience of being there. Like when you're saying kites, just to explain to, um, I'll put some images in with the show notes but they were actually very small, maybe like two inches um, across, and then they were all like woven together.
2: Yeah, so tiny little like wooden frames with a kind of a, a paper kite, but yeah, very small.
0: I mean, what are your thoughts on the Giudecca as this new art district?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's really exciting to, to visit um, a new art district like right at the beginning when there's only a few art spaces, when it's still very much a shipyard, um, and exciting to see Venice in that kind of emerging art scene, um, you know, because the main island obviously has a a craft-based tradition and there are a lot of galleries selling more kind of decorative works or uh, kind of sofas and things you might want to have in your house, but it doesn't seem to have that kind of really emerging uh, kind of raw artist scene where and in Geodeca you really have that and it feels very alive and very exciting. Uh, I think it's an exciting place to visit if you're going to Venice. I definitely think it's worth making the trip for. Um, it's probably going to change over the next couple of years as, as kind of it grows and becomes more established, you know, and, and so it's really special to see at the beginning because I think, you know, already like, Elton John has an apartment on Geodeca, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to start changing probably quite fast.
0: Yeah, I really look forward to seeing what's going to develop there. It's, uh, it's a really exciting space. I think there's a lot of energy around it. And um, like you say, to seeing those sort of emerging artists there in a much more spacious environment as well for me, was just, yeah, really refreshing and a really nice contrast to the historical centre.
1: Exactly. as what Anna said. It's going to be really exciting to watch it develop and transform. I think having the London-based feminist group, October Collective, help launch the the site and the new gallery spaces was incredibly smart and also just sets in line the tone of that kind of exciting, performative, very artist-led scene that they're going to want to develop there. They were a really brilliant group of people to help launch those 11 new art spaces it's going to be exciting to see it develop
0: yeah i'm really looking forward to it thanks charlie and anna both for your time today recording this podcast charlie where can people find you online
1: thanks so much keita it's been really fun to reflect on it and people can find me at charlielevine.org.
0: and anna yeah thank you very much for inviting
2: me Uh, people can find me at my um company handles which is at underscore smartify on instagram and twitter
0: excellent Thanks both for your time today and I can't wait to see you both soon. Thanks, Gita. Thanks, Gita. The Curators Salon hopes you enjoyed this production.